Hi, I'm Dan Hornberger, the host of Breaking Chains, the podcast that focuses on the grassroots of disc golf, the amateurs, the local clubs, the individuals who make a difference, and those who have had their lives changed because of the sport. This episode of Breaking Chains is sponsored by MVP Disc Sports, the leader in disc golf technology. MVP offers an incredible selection of discs within their MVP, Axiom, and Streamline disc lines. Pennsylvania native and up-and-coming professional disc golfer Dan Brooks-Wells had an incredible opportunity this summer. He'll talk about that and include some stories about his beginnings, his confrontation with a bear, and where he's headed in the world of disc golf. Dan Brooks-Wells, my guest for this episode of Breaking Chains. All right. Dan Brooks-Wells is my guest for this episode of Breaking Chains. Dan, thanks for being a guest. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. So tell me about Dan Brooks-Wells. Who are are you? (laughs) I'm just your average local pro. I'm 28 years old. I I, uh, lived in Lehigh Valley for most of my life. And recently, I moved up to uh, Syracuse in Rochester, New York for work. So your job took you all the way up to Syracuse? Yeah, I actually... um, from another disc golfer who worked for Nestle. I worked for Nestle. They had a position open up and uh, I jumped on it. And eventually that led to a little bit of a promotion into sales. And that job took me up to Syracuse. From there, I moved over to Rochester last year. Dan, you grew up in the Lehigh Valley. You know, I, I live just about 40 minutes south of there. And I know there are so many terrific courses up there. What, when you were growing up, what courses did you play? I actually went to Whitehall High School. And if you guys know that area, it's right next to Jordan Creek. Mm-hmm. Actually, the person who was uh, Nate Doss, who was doing the commentary during the Jomez round, it's where he won his 2005 World. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that's one of the cool courses I got to play when I first started. And uh, Lehigh Parkway, of course. And uh, South Mountain, the tight wooded course. Those three are so solid. Yeah. So which one did you play the most? I would say I played Jordan Creek the most once I got a little bit better. I actually cut my teeth at Where's Dam, Covered Bridge. Uh, I think that's over in Orfield. Yep. That's really where I learned. And uh, once I got, again, once I got a little bit better, Jordan Creek was, was the main spot I played at. When you were growing up, did you play other sports? Yeah, actually, um, I was, I played a lot of different sports. Um, to start, I played, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, tried roller hockey for a bit. Nice. Yeah. I was obsessed with baseball though. That was my main sport. That and, that and soccer. I was a goalie for soccer up into high school, but baseball is what really did it for me. Pretty much consumed my life. After college, I played baseball at El C for two years. And once I got out of that, you know, there was, there wasn't much of a competitive atmosphere outside of that. So, you know, slips in disc golf and here's the competitive nature comes back. It was a great transition from baseball. And how did that come about? I had first heard of disc golf in high school, actually, they had it for a gym class, but you know, the, the gym coach, he didn't, really know about it. He, he was just like, here's some baskets, here are some frisbees. I got to go, <laughs> go throw, throw it at the basket. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, okay. So being a baseball player, I just naturally threw a, at the time, I didn't know it was called a thumber, but I threw a thumber on every hole and I was out throwing everyone and it was fun, but 
I didn't know what it was. I didn't, I'd never heard of it before. And I had no idea that Jordan Creek was a mile away. And I would say five years later is when I really got into it where I had a high school friend come back from, he went to Westchester and he was on the ultimate Frisbee team. And one of his teammates suggested he try disc golf when he get home. So he was like, Hey, let's, let's go try this out. I'm like, all right, cool. Went to where's dam. I went, I went and bought a champion groove. Oh, everyone knows that disc. Cause yeah. it looks so cool when you, when you, yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah. And, uh, I remember being so frustrated, couldn't get it to go over, you know, a hundred feet if that. And I just remember being frustrated and upset and I picked it up, picked up the groove and I forehanded it just as hard as I could. And it went like 300 feet. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's how you do this. Okay. Start over. Here we go. The light bulb went on. Yeah. We were both like, Oh my gosh. All right. Let's, let's keep going. So you buy some of the DX plastic, the Vikings, the AVR stuff like that. And you just do your best making your way through the, the where's damn course. I really like that course. It's, it's so much fun because it has a, a nice variety of shots. Uh, there's that one hole that you have to throw up over the rock face. Yeah. Which, yeah. Different. Really, Definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and, and all my buddies, they throw backhand on that. And I, I just throw a, fl- a high flick over it. And hey, sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. I mean, the beauty about that, about that hole is you could throw, I've thrown every type of shot, overhand, flick, backhand, Anheuser backhand where you would throw the flick. It's just a fun you know, don't really get that shot anywhere else. You start out and you and you're frustrated with the with the groove, but then you figure it out. How did you learn to to, to improve over the years? Basically, once that happens, you know, we went back to school. I, I went to East Stroudsburg University, and uh, I became obsessed again. I mean, I didn't have any other sports in my life. I didn't really do much other organized stuff. I was kind of focusing on class, but. You know, I found that I found Yetter Park not too far away from the school. And I was a big I was a big component of being in the library. You know, if you're in if you're in the library, you'll study was my uh, theory. And instead of studying, I would just watch disc golf videos on YouTube (laughs) (laughs) for hours and hours, maybe study for 30 minutes and then go back, watch. Well, you know what, Dan, theoretically, you were studying. I was I was I was a student of the game. Yeah. Don't tell my parents. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine now. Yeah. So I would, so honestly, though, I would watch these videos and eventually I found instructional stuff. And I remember a few of them, I would take notes and then I would just go out to the practice football field and just do field work for like two hours in between classes. And uh, I actually got kicked off of the football field one time because they were starting football practice. And I bet. Those guys were like, what the heck is this This guy doing throwing these Frisbees on our field? And I had to scramble around, pick them all up while they're all watching me. But <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of what it took to, I felt, to get better. Did you start entering tournaments soon after? I'd say that was probably 13, 14. I was doing that stuff. And I would just go to local leagues at Yetter. And there's actually an interesting story about how I got introduced to Lehigh Valley, which led to tournaments. I was coming down on a hole at Yetter Park, hole 14. If, if for, for those who know it, you can't really see the basket. And I'm coming down and uh, I look up and I see this bear next to the basket. And I'm on this walking path. And uh, Wait, what? A, a bear? Yeah, a bear. A bear. And I feel <laughs> black bear. 
Yes. <laughs> oh my and I was like, Oh my gosh, what, like, what do I do? I don't there. I'm told to be big or, you know, I don't know, stay still. I, I didn't have bear training. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, so I kind of just like backed away and said, you know, Oh crap. And it heard me looked up, started walking at me. I like dropped my bag, backed away a little faster. Then it started walking at me faster. And, uh, I didn't care what any of the studies said or what other people say. Like I just took off down the path. I was like, maybe it won't follow me. Maybe it will. And I'm done for who knows. So I'm just sprinting down this path and I get to, so that path leads to whole sixes fairway. And there's these two guys standing on the tee pad, just looking at me. I like am screaming at them. They can't hear me. They're just like looking at me. I get to them breathing heavy, yelling bear. Like, what are you talking about? Apparently, it didn't follow me all the way down, or I'm just extremely fast. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm really fast. You know? And, uh, Dan, all you had to do is outrun them. That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we saw the bear. It took another path. They, they saw it come trotting down. The one guy, um, Mike Pack, gave me the nickname Running Bear after that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was fun. So... And he introduced me. So again, uh, getting back to the tournament scene, he introduced me to Lehigh Valley. He took me up to Somo Dubs. And from there, I was definitely hooked. Like the atmosphere of everyone and the camaraderie and just made a lot of new friends and led me to tournaments. And it was kind of history from there, like hooked, absolutely hooked. Dan, when did you decide to move from amateur to pro? So I'd say like my first tournament I played was at the very end of 15. I remember. 2015 hoodoo and i was told to play advanced so i did and then i played advanced in 2016 for a while and um for anyone who who doesn't know when to make the jump from either intermediate to am or am to pro i i kind of say when you're winning or you're coming in second or third and you're not playing good it's time to move up you know like give someone else a chance to win so i i would say it took a few months maybe like five or six months seven eight months where that started to happen and decided to move up was encouraged by, you know, the local pros, Devin Frederick, Hank Henry, Steve Bro. at the time, you know, it's, it's time to move up and uh, get beat a little bit. And that was fine with me. And I remember also I was going to stay am status to play in am worlds, but I took second in, I think it was the 2016 or 17 awesome open. And it was like too much money to turn down. I was like, all right, I guess now's the time. You know, it just kind of happened quick. You can have pro status, but still remain eligible for AM Worlds if you don't take the money, correct? Correct. Yeah. So, for example, there was a one of the first tournaments I won in Open. I actually didn't take the cash. And I remember Salt was like, well, what do you want? You want this basket? And I was like, yeah, I'll take the basket. Like, I won't (laughs) buy a basket anyway. So, yeah, you can keep your AM status and, you know, don't do it forever, but you can keep it and play Open. So you, you make the shift. Yeah. And what was that experience like? Um, it's definitely intimidating. You know, I talk to some of the AMs now about moving up or even starting tournaments. And it's the same thing as far as like, you know, I know how good these guys are. I know how much better they shoot. And uh, I had to tell myself, you know, this is, this is the best way to get better is to play with these guys. It's definitely intimidating. It's definitely a process. You're not going to win to start. You might not even be in the mix to start, but eventually you see these guys as lines and what kind of putts they're making and what kind of discs they're throwing. 
uh, what angles, and you start to learn a little bit more that you wouldn't learn at a lower level. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a process, but it's a process that's worthwhile. When did you make that shift? Did you say seventeen? Uh, I think two thousand six. I'm pretty sure it was two thousand sixteen. I didn't. I wasn't in AM for an entire year. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I made it probably six or seven months. I'd have to look back after starting tournaments. So this has been a process for you. This isn't just something that has occurred overnight. No, of course not. It's like any other sport. I just, you know, everyone's main regret in disc golf is I wish I would have found it sooner, right? Mm -hmm. So just like any other sport, you know, playing baseball, playing soccer, you have to go through the struggles. You have to go through manipulating certain things about your game and trying to figure out how to make yourself better. So it doesn't matter if you're 12 or you're 20, 25, 30, you got to start somewhere and it's always a process. You're currently working full-time at Nestle. Yeah. And participating in these very in these A-tier tournaments, that has to be tough to tough to juggle. Yeah, I mean, it's really where your priorities lie, right? I mean, I gotta I gotta make sure the job's done for Nestle, obviously. But once the day's over, once I make sure the job's done, you know, you go practice your putting, you go do field work, you go play around, you know, you find time to do what you want, right? So I saved up enough time to take off to take the past two weeks off to play GMC and Maple Hill. And I just called it the local pros tour. Now that you've you started doing this, big change in your life or are you now accustomed to it? Big change. I don't know if it's a big change. It's definitely a little bit of a change because now it makes me want to go play bigger events more often. Mm-hmm. Not that, you know, not to say that I don't want to play the smaller local stuff. I have a lot of fun. And love seeing all my friends at these, you know, places in Lehigh Valley and now up in New York. I don't want to stop doing that. But as far as big changes, I don't think big changes right now. You know, the next step is USDGC. And then after that, it's pretty much just get back to regular disc golf, having fun and relaxing. Need it. (laughs) I had mentioned the Lost Valley. You played that. And I think that's a that's a B tier, right? It was a B tier this year. I heard that next year it will be an A tier. Okay, so you played that, and then you went on to uh, play at the Pittsburgh Flying Disc Open, and you played six there. Did, did those two events really help you prepare for the GMC? Yeah, I would say Lost Valley Open was great because you got to see some of the better players in the field. You know, obviously, Simon Lazat was there, Fish, Dustin Keegan, a lot of good players. You know, I didn't play as well as I wanted to at Lost Valley, obviously. I would say the Pittsburgh course got me a little bit more prepared for Brewster. Those tight, long, there's like tight, long tunnel shots you got to hit. That was at Moraine, right? At Moraine. Yeah. We played three rounds at Moraine. So even if it didn't seem like some of the holes were tight tunnels, it's kind of like you got to throw it 200 feet and then hit a tunnel, you know? So you got to be accurate. I think that prepared me mentally for GMC. Okay. So then of course this big event, which you not only have a great finish, but also I, I imagine a, an incredible experience. So let, let, if you don't mind, let's go day by day. Sure. And correct me if I'm wrong. The opening round was at Brewster Ridge, right? Yes. And and you shot him. You were down ten. Yeah, it was my best round ever. Yeah. So you got to tell me how you start doing this, and is it just you're just in the you're in the zone? Yeah. I mean, it's there's one thing I did that day that I, I didn't do before, which was wear headphones, and I just wanted to focus on my shots and not really worry about what was going on around me. I was the first card to tee off that day. I think it was like eight, 10 or 20. And, uh, which was nice because there was no one in front of us. We didn't have to wait for anyone. And, um, I actually got to play with one of my buddies, Steve, 
he was supportive and he understood that I just wanted to play my game and he didn't want to really talk much. And another guy on our card, Jordan, he actually lives down near Philly as well, I believe. He's new to the scene and he loves it. He's So it's like cool that I met someone from Philly who is now a new friend and he's diving into the game too. But yeah, day one, it, it was kind of unexpected. You know, I just kind of was like, hit my shots, hit my shots. Okay, I made my, I made that putt. Okay, that went in. That's, you know, that's cool. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm like seven down right now. Trying to pay attention to the score. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I don't know what you mean, but okay. <laughs> it was kind of just like my game plan is to hit my lines and make my putts inside the circle, and that's it. After that, I can be proud of what I did. Who was the fourth person in your group? We did not have a fourth person, so it went really smooth. It was a fast round. Then the second day, which had to be just a really wonderful shock for you. Uh, yes, it was. Um, it was surreal it was unbelievable honestly like in the moment all of a sudden it was like oh you're at the top you know james conrad's right there and it doesn't seem like anyone is gonna get to you guess you're gonna be on lead card okay how do you mentally prepare for that like how is that i watch these guys every week on jomez and on central coast and gatekeeper you know what i mean like okay now i guess it's go time but i have to play my round i have to be within myself and try not to be overtaken by the moment. You know what I mean? Dan, how'd you do it? No alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) That morning, I kind of had the place to myself after like 10 o'clock and I didn't know what to do. So I just stretched and I would putt for 20 minutes, come back inside and stretch and then go putt for 20 minutes. And I did that for about three hours before the round. To help mentally prepare, I actually called a friend who was on The Voice Gary up in Syracuse. And he kind of talked me through what his experience was getting on the voice and being on that stage. He really helped me calm down. He really helped me mentally get prepared and basically just saying, like, you know, you've worked years to get to this point. Like you belong here. You you deserve this. You 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 earned it. You know what I mean? So know that, you know, know that, own it, and just do your best. Let your training take over. So you're with James Conrad. Yeah. And who else? James Conrad, Paul Macbeth, and Chris Dickerson. They're all elite, all of them. Intimidating. Everyone's asking if I'm nervous. Of course I am. Of course I'm nervous. That, that's a good thing, I think. Uh, I was told if you're not nervous, then it doesn't matter to you anymore. That's right. Yeah. It's how you control it. It's the, all that adrenaline and how you control it. Yeah. Yeah. So some of my strategies to overcome the nerves and overcome that is... Um, Breathing techniques, just trying to like take a deep breath, like almost every chance I get. If you watch the the video, you'll see I take a deep breath almost before every shot. And uh, something else I tried, which seemed to work, was I tried not to watch their shots. I really did because I would be in awe almost every time. I'm like, oh, I'm playing with this person. Look at that shot. That was amazing. So instead of watching their shots and being a spectator, it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to focus on my shot and try to get my par, try to make my inside the circle putt. That's all I really want to think about. And uh, another thing was when I would walk up to tees, I noticed that the longer I waited, the more nervous I got. Before I started feeling the nerves, I knew my shot. I knew what disc I was selecting. You just go up and throw and let the muscle memory take over. Had you played Brewster Ridge several times before that or no? Yeah. So I was down, I was up there for Worlds 
And I was up there last year for GMC, which I actually had to drop out last year. I got injured. But so I had played Brewster Ridge a decent amount. I would say I had at least 10 rounds there or like practice and regular play. So I had a little bit of experience on it. At the end of the second day, how'd you feel? At the end of the second day, I felt um, good. I felt good. I felt I felt accomplished that I didn't fall apart. You know, that was that was one of the things you get into that situation, you know, being the new guy and you see it happen every now and again where somebody, you know, you just take a bogey or you miss a putt and it just, it, the, the, um, mistakes compound on each other and you just start to fall apart. So I had a couple shots where I messed up and I just had to accept it, you know, and say, that's all right. It happens. This next shot's what's important. You can't focus on that. So I felt pretty good. I, I, I had heard what some of the commentators had said, which made me feel pretty good. You know, you know, Doss saying that I won the day was, was a, um, humbling, you know what I mean? Like it was, that's a great compliment. It really is. I couldn't believe it. You know, I thank you, Nate Doss for, for that. If you ever hear this, but <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I watched the round. I was so impressed by your, your scrambling. Thank you. And I think, I think Coling made a comment about that. Because you were making some shots, like maybe your tee shot was was a little bit errant, but mm-hmm. your next shot was phenomenal. And you did that several times, Dan. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, one of the jokes I have with one of my other buddies who does it as well is I, I, I play bad enough that I got really good at scrambling. <laughs> <laughs> during, you know, during those practice rounds, if you throw a bad shot, go play it, uh, you know, two or three times until you get up and down. You know, so that's kind of how I got good at those. and. Um, I would say during your round, it's going to happen. You're going to throw a bad shot or two, most likely. So practice those shots and make sure you know what you're doing. The next shot has to be a smart shot or else, again, like you said, the problems just compound. Yeah. If you get out of position on a hole, you know, like I'm not Paul McBeth. I'm not trying to hit a five foot gap thrown at 450 on an Anheuser Flex shot. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I understand that that's a low percentage shot for me. So, for example, on hole 16, which the drive is a tunnel shot. There's OB. If you go a little long, there's OB to the right. And I was out of position. So I just flicked out the gap and then got up and down for my par. You know, and part of that is also understanding that that hole eats people up. Like it's playing over par that week. Every week it plays over par. So it's okay to take a par. It's okay to just scramble and get your par. Third day, you move to Fox Run Meadows, correct? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Third day, we go back to Brewster. Oh, back to Brewster. Okay. Yeah. So how'd that go? Um, that was a little bit, surprisingly, that was a little bit easier as far as like nerves go. Still covered, still gatekeeper. And uh, still, if the if the second day wasn't a star-studded card, this was. Yep. Paul McBeth again, Ricky Wysocki, and Nico LaCastro, who I had not played with any of those guys except for Paul the previous day. I think I felt better because it wasn't live coverage anymore. I had semi proven myself the day before like okay i you know went back home that night and said you can do this like you you did it you still shot 10 you know it was a turn 1035 rated round like yeah it was fine you know so okay you can do this so get your pars and hit your putts inside the circle for birds and i think i missed two putts i should have made that round and i ended up four down which was fine you know that's kind of what i expect out of that course four to six down is kind of my goal and any more is, is a great bonus. So I was happy with that day as well. Again, a little less nerves. And it was fun to watch those players tear that course up too. Let me ask you, did the, did the guys ever 
ever compliment you? Um, yeah, a couple, a couple of times. Um, I would say more notably, like the, the second day, everyone knew I was nervous. Like I was kind of sticking to myself. James Conrad actually came up to me after the fourth tee shot and started chatting me up. And it, it seemed like he was my biggest fan out there. It was kind of cool. Every other shot that I did, even if it was like a simple shot, most of the time he was like, yeah, nice shot. And not to say that the other guys didn't do it every now and again, they would. But for some reason, James was awesome. He was just really fun to play with, really supportive. So what about the final round? Yeah, final round. Um, I played with Andrew Fish, and Philo, and Uliberry. Another great group. Another great group. So in Pittsburgh, I actually, my last round, I think it was my last round, was with Philo and Fish. So I was, I'm used to being on a card with them, kind of. You know, it wasn't brand new. But Uliberry was new. And... Um, they're all great guys to play with. And I was really, not, I'm not surprised, but it was a real pleasure to play with Uliberry. He was very chatty. He was, we were, we joke around certain shots. Like he was just funny. He, he actually had this one shot. I love, I love this story. He, um, hole 16 where you got to hit that tunnel shot at Fox run. It's a really hard shot. And he steps up and I guess he didn't hit it the day before, you know, two days prior. Um, and he's like, pull through, you know, trust yourself. And it's like saying all this stuff to himself. And he's like chanting and he goes up and he throws it. It's a perfect shot. And he just goes, you did it. <laughs> like, he's just a kid playing, you know, yeah. and that's what, and you know, that's one of the things where it's like, this is what it's supposed to be. Like, he's just enjoying himself out here, just doing what he loves. And it's just fun. He does a great job with calling doing the commentary. He does. Um, I really enjoy listening to them. And yeah, I really enjoyed their coverage on Jomez that I was on. I appreciate the things that they said about me. The other thing I'd, I'd say one of the one of the better compliments I got from Uliberry was I made this step putt on hole 15 at the last round, and he just like walked up near me and was like, "Yep, you're a pretty good player." I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is amazing!" And he's so nice to say that. You know what I mean? He didn't have to. The goal of Breaking Chains is to grow the sport by presenting fellow disc golfers who have inspirational stories. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, send an email to rockfishproductions at gmail.com. Or you can contact me through the show's social media accounts. On Facebook, Breaking Chains, the podcast. Instagram is Breaking Chains DG. And Twitter is at BRKNGC. Check them out. And if you're so inclined, Drop me a line or provide some feedback. I'd appreciate it. This episode of Breaking Chains is sponsored by MVP Disc Sports, the leader in disc golf technology. MVP now has the capacity to support both the sport and Team MVP in many new ways, one of which is offering signature and tour series discs. Disc golfers can support their favorite Team MVP members and find new and unique stamps on some of their favorite discs. A portion of every team disc sold goes directly to the players to help fund their tour expenses. Visit the MVP Pro Shop, a unique place for team MVP members to get their discs to their fans. The shop not only serves as an outlet for MVP Axiom and Streamline oddities and prototypes, but also creates a much more intuitive purchasing experience for the disc golf community as a whole. This episode's guest is Dan Brooks-Wells. In the show's second half, Dan talks about the overall experience he had at the GMC, his association with MVP, 
and a rather unique service he and a partner will soon be offering. This is Breaking Chains. So Dan, what, what's your takeaway or what are your takeaways from this experience? I would say my takeaways are you can do it. Like I can do it. You know, I've, I, I got to the stage and I, and I delivered higher than I thought I was going to, honestly. Also, you don't need to throw 500 feet to be a good player. Um, I know all these guys do that, but you don't really need it. It's nice to have. The other thing that I learned was you can't let the, you know, other players influence your shots. And that really, you know, stuck with me this past week. And even the last round, hole two at box run, Yuli, you know, Yuli steps up, throws this awesome sidearm with a mid up the gut and parks it. And I'm like, I can do that. You know, sidearm's my shot. Why am I throwing a backhand? And I got up to the tee. I almost did it. And I said, nope, you didn't practice this shot. Why are you throwing it? Went back, got my putter, put it within 15 feet, you know, committed to the shot and put it in. So that's a huge takeaway. You know, don't let other people influence your game plan and your shot at, at any level. Yeah, it's kind of strange you said that because I think just recently PDGA published an article about mental mental toughness and focus. Yeah. You know, I think it has to do with how you deal with the other guys on your card, you know, what they do, what they talk about. And I love the fact that you wore headphones, uh, something I haven't tried yet. And I think I'm, I'm going to definitely try that. Yeah, I'd, I'd say for the more serious rounds, I, it was a good idea. Funny enough, I planned on wearing headphones the second day on coverage. And I had listened to them so much when I was like warming up that they ran out of battery. So <laughs> like, you see me wearing them on the first tee and then I don't wear them the rest of the round. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Right>? man. <laughs> but what, what did you listen to? What do I? Oh, good question. Um, I started recently getting into Grandson, which is more of like an alternative rock. And um, I actually like Dax. He's a rapper. And uh, I listen to some more like calming music. Like I'll, I'll turn... 90s alternative rock okay on spotify and i just i just go with that so your last a tier was the mvp open yeah you seem to struggle during that one a little bit i would say i struggled the last day you always have to come back down to earth and you know going into that tournament i thought about you know maybe something a little bit more is expected of me because of what i just did and i tried to take a step back from that and say you know you're still you're still below a thousand rated right now. And all you want to do, your plan coming into this was to shoot above your rating. So the first two days I did that, you know, I shot 10, 15 or 10, 20 golf, whatever it was, I was happy with it. You know, people underestimate Maple Hill. Sometimes if you haven't played it, it is extremely hard. It's harder than GMC and Brewster. It really is. The last day, you know, I just was tired and some of my shots that, I threw short or OB and they were Island shots, you know, like hole eight. My last day, I, I triple bogeyed it because I threw OB the first shot, barely missed it. And then did it again on the upshot, barely missed it, you know, and it just, those, those are killers. Yeah. They just got me. And then towards the end, I felt like, Oh, I'm missing cash. I got to go for some of these holes. And I went for hole 14 over the water and went OB again. It's just those compounding mistakes making, I didn't stick to my, make sure you're in bounds. You better make sure you're in bounds or trouble can happen. And that's what happened. So you got to take a lesson from all of it. I was a little bit tired with my flick on some of those shots. So, you know, maybe I should have backhanded and that's just something I got to adapt to and 
learn from it. So next time I can be better prepared. Had you played that course before? Yeah, I was there last year and I, it, it, it beat me up. I think I shot 12 over for the tournament. It really took a toll on me. This year, I think I ended up like five up total. But my first two rounds, I was even in neg one. So I was extremely happy with that. And again, you just got to learn from your mistakes. So even even from there came an opportunity where I knew I was pretty much out of cash. And the last two holes, you know, I birdied hole 17, which everyone knows you're supposed to get. And then on 18, since they moved it back, it's a really tough shot. I mean, I'm sure anyone who's watched that knows how hard that can be. And I never go for that ever in a tournament. Um, for the three. And this time I was out of cash and I said, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Might as well, right? Yeah, yeah, might as well. So I threw my tee shot, ended up on the left side under this willow tree. I almost laid up again because I was in bad position. And I just went, I just looked at my card mates and I was like, what am I doing? Screw it. And one of the, I think Luke Humphreys was like, yeah, let's go. And <laughs> go for it. And it was like this, to me, it was just like this impossible shot. So I remember just taking out my nitro and just throwing it as hard as I could and put it like 10 feet from the basket. And, you know, out of, out of me not playing well, that was something where I went, Oh, I can do this shot. Okay. That's something good. I can take home. That's a a wonderful, wonderfully optimistic way to approach disc golf. I think. Got to try. Got to learn and got to try different things. Absolutely. Let's talk about your, your MVP association. How did that come about? Just like anyone else who doesn't tour, you know, it's hard to get recognized. So you know, I, I really wanted, I, I did want to get sponsored. I felt like uh, it would make me a little bit more of a serious player, make me focus a little bit more. And I just applied online and anyone can do it. And I remember it was like halfway during the season. And basically they took a look at me, took a look at where I was. And they said, you know, the team's filled this year and we can't get anyone else, but definitely be ready next year. You know, put two or three discs in your bag, see how you like them. And we'll talk next year. And it just came from that and took their advice, put a few discs in my bag, liked them. And the next year they picked me up. Had you had experience with MVP beforehand? I actually did. So when I was at East Stroudsburg and I was playing like there, there was a couple of guys who threw MVP and, and actually, you know, sold me a few discs of MVP. And I was using like the Atom to putt and used it a little bit. Yeah. Back then. And then obviously like when you're a newer player, you want to try all the different stuff. So I got away from it. You know, DD became big and was using a lot of that. Innova, but it just full circle went back to MVP, and I'm very happy with it. Very happy with it. So let's talk about your preferred discs. What do you, what do you have in your bag? Um, yeah. So for those of you who have been asking, um, I do plan on doing an in the bag uh, video with uh, Johnny Blaze. <laughs> and um, so we'll start with my putters really quick. I, I putt with a Cosmic Proxy, elect Cosmic Electron Proxy. They are. Awesome. Are they great? I got a couple people using them now. They're dead straight. They're amazing. Yep. And actually, somebody else pointed this out. If you get them wet, they actually become a little bit more grippy. And then my driving putter, I actually have a soft proxy. And uh, I do a lot of my upshots with the white disc with the purple. With the white disc with the orange rim is a pyro. Okay. I flick a lot of my upshots with. And I found out afterwards that that is a mutant run. And it's more overstable than the current pyros. So anyone out there who has a 2019 Circuit Challenge pyro, I'll trade you something. <laughs> Ooh, all. all right. You hopefully you get some offers. Yeah, I want them. All. I found two so far, and I want them all. So <laughs> 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 then uh, I would say my my new favorite disc 
that they came out with this past year is a reactor. It's such a great disc. Really good. Just just glide for days. It's a mid. It's the farthest mid. If you hit it right, uh, some of the bigger throwers can get this thing 400. I don't have any doubt in that. And then once you get up to the fairway drivers, I throw a Crave. So that's what I threw off hole one at Fox. My first throw on Jomez, I trusted the Crave. It's a six and a half speed fairway. Uh, really consistent. Um, I throw a Raf, a Fireball. Ooh, that's beefy. It is. It is. Yeah. I feel like everyone needs something like that for, for wind play and for, you know, make sure if it needs to go left, it's going to go left. Yeah. Inertia, which is newer. And I threw that a lot for the tunnel hyzer flip shots, especially at Brewster. Um, let's see here. A trace. I throw a trace for a lot of my bomber shots. I throw a mayhem for uh, distance shots. For example, on hole one at Maple, I throw the mayhem off the tee if there's no wind. I flick the panic a lot and I flick the nitro a lot. So that green disc you saw me flicking on uh, Joe Mez, that was the nitro. Just really overstable, trust it in any wind and pretty much anywhere. And that has a thick, thick rim underneath, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's a 13 speed, 12 or 13. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, I would say that's, that's pretty much the majority of what I use. I do have a trick disc. I call it a trick disc. It's my roller disc uh, and orbital. Super underfoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> pretty crazy. Sometimes I use it for like a thumber if I need to go 80 feet and I need it to flip quick in the air. It's just a, a little, thumber. Yeah, a little trick disc. Just a little trick disc. It's fun. I would think that would flip like like instantly as it came out of your hand on the, because those things are so so flippy. Again, eighty feet at like the most for the, for the thumber. Here's a question I did not have on the list, and because I just I just ran across it this morning. You've had some special discs made available. Talk about them. Yeah, so that bear I told you about that I got chased by. It's the Running Bear Team Series stamp. Uh, I had Corinne Falcone, who is a a local disc golfer up in Syracuse. She is a graphic design artist. She does amazing work. She's done stamps for disc golfers all over. If you are interested in getting something done to put on a disc, I recommend contacting her. She's amazing. I was so happy with the stamp. It's just a pretty much a grizzly bear ripping through the, like breaking through the disc. It's really cool looking. Thank you. Yeah. Again, Corinne Falcone. And if someone wants to try to grab one of those discs, they, can they get that through the pro shop? I think there's a couple of traces left on the pro shop. I recently got a shipment in. Um, you can go to Disc Insanity. I just dropped some off there. His store in Allentown. Jeff has got a store there in Allentown. You can get some there. I'm putting some up on MVP buy, sell, trade for people to auction. I got a couple of them coming out. It'll be the last run I do for the year. So... If you want one, now's the time. What molds are you having that that stamp on? Yeah, so the my most recent ones are Mayhems, which are 13 speeds. Uh, again, they just go so far. The proxies, Neutron proxies, which I throw. I have Cosmic Envies, and I have a few Neutron Envies left. Okay. And MVP does a great job with, with those stamps as well. Dan, what's on the horizon? Well, um, the focus is USDGC. You know, this is another dream of mine to be able to qualify and go just enjoy that course. You know, I'm sure it'll be stressful. I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun, though. I'm trying to have a lot of fun right now. So <laughs> that is in the near future. And uh, as far as after that, you know, I know there's a lot of doubles events locally. Like the past two weeks were pretty, especially the, the, the GMC was definitely a stressful experience. It was fun, but it was definitely a stressful experience. So I'm looking to have fun. You know, I just want to go play some rounds with friends, play some tournaments with friends and uh, finish the year off in a, in a, in a good way. 
Yeah. And after that, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I don't, I don't really know what the future holds, to be honest, as far as disc golf goes. I, I definitely want to play more bigger events. I kind of want to get out to the West Coast. I have, have not been out there to play any of those. So one of those is going on my schedule for sure. I just don't know which one. Dan, as, as if your plate wasn't already full with working full time and traveling to tournaments, you're also offering some technical help for disc golfers. Explain what you're doing. Yeah. So um, me and my partner, Mike Carmen. We started this online analysis, uh, we call it Frontline Disc Golf, and we do both online analysis and we do some in-person one-on-one lessons. So the online analysis is basically you send us a video of your backhand form or your forehand form, and we will compare it to a pro. So either Mike or I, um, we have some other pros as well, some of their videos, and I have a good friend of mine, uh, Bob Buckley who does a great job analyzing the video so he can break it down. Slow, he slows it down. He goes through each parts. We work together on what he should be talking about, working on what the proper form is, and really giving the person who wants to get this done uh, a big value for, for what they're paying for. And it's a video you get to keep. And something that we're really excited about that's really cool is you... Let's say you get this done, you work on it for a month or two, you work on your form, and you want to see where you were. Well, we can do an overlap of your form. We can put your video, your old video next to your new video and see how you've progressed. Um, And we can track all of this and we can see where you are as time goes on. And the other thing we were doing, which is this is actually how it started. Uh, Once COVID hit, you know, we wanted to give lessons in person. So everyone can go online and look up youtube videos on form and you know how you know what's the correct form how to do it but you don't really know what you're doing right and you're doing wrong most of the time so a lot of us have to learn that way but we want to make it so you get there a little bit quicker you get to your goals a little bit quicker so we were offering uh in-person one-on-one lessons we got a little busy and then you know life got back to normal with work so there are limited spots, but I could see in the future there being more spots available. I would say go ahead over to our Facebook. We just got it started, Frontline Disc Golf on Facebook. We got a few example videos over there. And uh, go ahead and, and like that, and follow it, and keep a lookout for opportunities in the future if, if lessons is something you're interested in. That's great. Yeah, and it's, re- it's really fun for us. We, we really enjoy it. And it's always great to get any kind of constructive criticism on your form. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when I was coming up and, you know, I was looking at, you know, I was trying to get better quicker and quicker and I would, it just didn't seem like there was much around besides YouTube videos, you know, and those were, those weren't bad. You know, you go look at the Dave Feldberg, the, the Will Schustrick videos, and those weren't bad. But again, I didn't know if I was doing it right or not. I was just going out to a field and trying what they suggested, but I couldn't really tell if I was doing it. And, 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 and you're right. Like this is something I've, I've looked at hundreds of people's forms and I can, I can pretty much detect what you're doing wrong once I slow the video down and I can tell you right away, like, Hey, you're not, you're not rotating your foot correctly or, or this foot placement is wrong for your setup. And you know, you're not reaching back far enough, stuff like that. It's, it's simple stuff that isn't that hard to fix most of the time. It's just knowing that you have to fix it. Are, are you guys going to develop a website? We're actually in the process. Yeah, we're in the process of developing websites. So the way I see it is I'm trying to get some coaches in different areas and they will be under the frontline tent. 
Another thing is it's tough to teach if you don't know how to teach. So I was, I've been working with Sam, uh, a pro, a prodigy pro up in Buffalo and he's, he's a teacher. So he's actually been, uh, constructing me how to teach and how to, you know, format lessons and stuff like that. So it's been a real eye opener and we're going to work with other coaches on, you know, again, proper form and then how to relay that information to the student. So the website, what I, my, my picture is, is having all of the coaches on the website and you go to the website and say, Hey, this is my area. This is the coach that's in my area. I'm going to contact that person for lessons. Oh, that's a great idea, Dan. Thank you. We're really excited about it. And that, my friends, is the signal for the rapid fire round. To conclude each episode of Breaking Chains, I'll fire random questions at my guests. Some of the questions will be disc golf related, others not so much. Okay, Dan, here we go. Most scenic course you've ever played? Box run. If you could design a new disc, what type would it be and what would you call it? Seven speed, fairway driver, running bear. Favorite movie? Avengers Endgame. You win an all-expense-paid trip to Disc Golf Island in Finland, and you're allowed to take three people with you. Who makes the cut? Oh, my gosh. You're going to do this to me? Um, <laughs> I got to say Mike Carmen, Kenny Bo, Dylan Horst. Favorite restaurant? Um, local seafood places. Not, nothing specific. If you had a choice between two superpowers, being invisible or flying, which one would you choose? Flying. Favorite musician or band? Right now, grandson. In the past, three days, Grace. If you could choose one song to play every time you walked up to the first tee, what song would you choose and why? Something stupid and funny. Something like, <laughs> something to just make people laugh. I don't even know. I, I think no one would expect. <laughs> Maybe a Tiny Tim song that just makes people laugh. Oh, that would be weird. I know. I know. That's just... I just want... Was that tiptoe through the tulips, right? Yeah. Oh, that's too creepy. There, there have another, another one, right? That's like sunshine and whatnot. Everyone, everyone always has these like serious rap songs or like these like heavy metal rock songs, and I would, I would come up and just be, I don't know, just be off brand and make people laugh. That's all. That'd be great. What's your biggest pet peeve in disc golf? Biggest, biggest pet peeve is, oh, I would say is criticizing someone else's game. That it doesn't matter. Um, like criticizing their routine, like putting down a mini, even though you're 15 feet away, like criticizing that. What fictional character do you identify with the most and why? Only because growing up, just people just said, I looked like I wear glasses too. And I just looked like Clark Kent. All right, Dan. Hey, thanks so much for being a guest. I really appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun. That wraps up this episode of Breaking Chains. A big thanks to Dan Brooks-Wells. You can find out more about Dan on the Breaking Chains website, www.rockfishproductions.com. This episode of Breaking Chains was sponsored by MVP Disc Sports. MVP offers an awesome selection of discs within their MVP, Axiom, and Streamline disc lines. Be sure to check out the MVP Pro Shop and take advantage of the special offers. You can purchase unique MVP, Axiom, and Streamline discs, prototypes, 
and Team MVP discs, which will simultaneously help support the Team MVP players. You can find the Pro Shop at www.mvpproshop.com. MVP, the leader in disc golf technology. I'll conclude today with the words of Mark Steele, May your strokes be less than the trees you hit. Kevin McLeod wrote and performed the show's theme, Unwritten Return, and Big Rock. The music at the break, Flying Away, was written and performed by DP Music. This podcast is copyrighted by Rockfish Productions, LLC.